Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to be Human. This is episode 73, the classic spotlight series, Thoughts on Octavia Butler. I want to do a show like this for her for, for quite some time now. Just like Shirley Jackson, another female writer that's extremely fascinating. Where, where Shirley Jackson was focusing uh, primarily on horror, well, Octavia Butler focused primarily on science fiction, which, of course, makes her extremely unique in the sense that there is not as many science fiction female writers. So it brings you a whole different worldview that than you would, you would get from some of the male ones. And I don't mean that in a political way. It's just a fact. It, uh, where you come from, your background, even your gender, it, it does have an effect on, on, on how you see the world and, and what you write about the world. It's just, just simply a fact. Uh, I guess another extra extraordinary thing about Octavia Butler was she was a black writer. So you make that uh, combination together and you get somebody that has done an enormous amount of work before she died, also dying early, uh, very similar circumstances to, to Shirley Jackson as well. But she brings in a, a rich cultural experience where she's exploring um, not just uh, plain prejudices and, and various allusions to that, but she's also explaining uh, the, the depth of, of, of history and, and culture and how it affects you know, worlds, whether they be alien worlds, which she wrote about a lot, or, of course, uh, the worlds of the past and the future. Um, she had a, a, an extraordinary novel out called uh, Kindred. You might want to check that out. And basically, this woman, who's African-American, in fact, all women in her stories that were powerful and, and heroine, they were also uh, women who happened to be black. And this woman, who lived in Los Angeles, a modern uh, a black woman, uh, somehow gets catapulted back into the slavery days, and she continues to go back and forth with this time, back to the modern days, back to slavery days, discovering some in interesting things, but also some horrifying things as well. I not only did I read that book, but also uh, I, I thought the critics were correct about how even though she said in interviews, this is the writer Butler, that she felt that she had to tone down some of the violence of the slavery days in the book so that people would want to buy the book and not just be too repelled by it, you know, because you can have truth and then you can have sometimes too much truth. I know it sounds like a weird irony that you have too much truth to try to, you know, uh, expose some truth, but she was right about it. I, I think she just meant about the, the, the possible graphic nature of it. But a lot of critics felt that she got it on the money uh, about the... Uh, the, the psychological experiences of, uh, of slavery, the, you know, the, not only the lack of freedom, but the imprisonment you know, of, of your soul and your, in, and your emotions and you know, repeated abuse, and not only physically, but for women sexually. And uh, they said she got it right on the money, and, and I agree that she did. I, I thought that, wow, if she's trying to tone it down, phew, I'm glad she didn't go all the way because this is rough stuff. It, it makes Roots look like Disney. So it, it's, it's, it's rough stuff, but it, it needs to be. But that was really 
the hallmark of her writing is unflinching uh, in many ways uh, definitely not sentimental at all she even though she was a woman she didn't really have a a kind eye to, to characters she wanted them to experience things that seemed uh, real and made their realities become real to you when she when you were reading it and and, and didn't look for easy, easy easy way out so there was no shortcuts in her writing you know what I mean you, you didn't have a bow at the end and everybody was happy I mean she was exploring some serious things about the class of cultures and the class of genders uh, I know she explored a sexual identity in a number of her novels um, Ms. Butler never came out as being a gay person, but it, there's, there's, a, there's a strong likelihood that, that she was. And uh, I think it's only important to note in, in the sense that oftentimes when people write about uh, sexual identities and, and some of the issues around that, they, they, they tend to be uh, gay people. It's just you don't really see too many street people that, that write about that that extensively. And if they do, it's very superficial. It, it certainly isn't the kind of depth that uh, a person like her can lend, you know, to that, uh, to have a real authentic and, you know, interesting voice. So, uh, again, you have somebody that's literally writing in the um, the uh, late 60s and, and into the 70s and 80s and, and uh, black science fiction woman and also writing uh, about uh, sexual uh, confusion, sexual identity, sexual freedom as well as all the cultural and prejudices that she was putting together in these alien cultures that she was uh, she was creating. So it made her a, a, a mesmerizing figure, I, I felt, in, 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 in that world. Um, she's an unusual character in the sense that she had the opposite uh, childhood, as you would say, uh, compared to uh, Shirley Jackson, because... Uh, uh, Miss Butler grew up uh, very poor. Her father died when she was very young, and she was just raised by her mother. And her mother was somebody that didn't even have much of a formal education. I, I believe her mother was uh, like a cleaning lady at, you know, in people's houses and stuff. And sometimes Octavia would would follow her along to the houses to, uh, you know, uh, help and you know just I guess because probably she didn't have any childcare, you know. And uh, she so she got to see that firsthand, you know, work ethic and 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 somebody having to do a backbreaking job and you know not exactly uh, a job that's full of interest uh, and and creativity and pride but rather uh, uh, many ways a demeaning type of job uh back when her mother was doing it she had to go to the back door of these houses because this was the days of segregation even in california that was still practiced and that's where she was born at in california from pasadena so Miss Butler had to see that firsthand. I, I'm sure it had a serious uh, influence on on her. Uh, I, Octavia was one of those um, one of those writers that, and this is not all too uncommon, uh, that w- was considered considered kind of nerdy, not considered very attractive or, or interesting, and somebody that you know bullies would try to pick on. Or I understand she was also dealing with a, a type of a dyslexia as well, and that was really kind of made her, her education a you know a suffering one. Um, it's not, uh, I feel, uh, unusual for her to, uh, to say in, in quotes and, and, and to even mention in interviews that she felt that the library, the public library, was a sacred place. And, and it's a place that she took refuge and did a lot of work in. And it, it's not uh, unusual that the only time she had anything to say uh, praiseworthy about 
about uh, higher education was probably higher education, like college and, and going to uh, writer workshops. She took some real benefit from it. I think the school days was something that was uh, tormenting to her and terrifying and, and probably left a, a real real mark on, on her psyche, I, I would say. Um, she was fortunate in the sense that her um, her mother, who didn't have a formal education and wasn't exactly you know, somebody that would uh, understand some of the things that she was talking about, would write, still loved her daughter and supported her. Got her a typewriter push her to do the writing and, and to be creative because I guess she could just tell that this is what she was interested in and, and, and she took, you know, note that, you know, she was serious about this. And uh, that makes that woman extremely special because most family members that I know of and that many writers I know of, uh, just not much on, on, on finding that kind of support. It, it's still kind of rare. So that that's, that's probably more important in, in that woman's life uh, Octavia Butler, than, than, than anything else that happened to her because um, that's where it started. Uh, she, she claims that in, in an interview, um, Mrs. Butler, that she knew that she wanted to really write and, and, and write science fiction around the age of nine. She saw some uh, science fiction, I guess, show or movie and, and it had a real a mark on her. But it, funny thing is that the mark on her was not like Wow, this is great science fiction, and I like to be a science fiction writer. It was different. It's that it's that confident, almost cocky kind of uh, feeling that writers can get. Uh, Miss Butler said, "I can actually write a better screenplay than this guy did." I mean, so that's how she got about it and interested in it. She thought she could do better than what she was seeing. She thought the script was lacking and that she can she can do better. And uh, I'm sure that she did, in terms of her, her novels and everything, because. Uh, that certainly was not a, a classic uh, masterpiece in any sense, that movie. But it's good. At least it sparked something in her. And, and she quoted it, and it was pretty It was pretty interesting to hear that. I, I really liked hearing that. I, I haven't heard someone before say that a, a movie got them into writing. So that's, that's, that is pretty uh, darn unique. Now, Miss Butler got over these... Um, torments and got over that and 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 she was pretty much a a, a relative loner i mean other than uh, you know being with her mother going to the library studying writing going to school i mean she didn't really develop any serious friendships until she became an adult and again another another incredible fortune to her is she was able to go to um the uh writers guild of america west that, that's the uh, the west version of that on on the california side of things you know, there's the east one that's based in new york and she was able to go to their school they, they were running a program for minority writers and she got involved in that and lo and behold her teacher was harlan ellison probably one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time not just in america i mean of all time and Funny, because uh, they they developed a lifelong uh, a friendship. Uh, he uh, took a serious liking to what she was doing. He helped pay for her fees to get into other other programs to learn more. And he was uh, uh, someone that also bought one of her stories from one of the anthologies that he was assigned to by his publisher. So he's a real big factor in her life in terms of her starting. And um, you'll hear, and I'll I'll be doing a, a show on here in the, in the months ahead about Harlan Ellison because he's another one that I love. Uh, greatly but you'll hear many horrible things about that guy and I don't mean horrible things like you know shooting killing and you know drugs I'm just talking about 
he was not the most uh, genteel kind of a guy. He, he was a moody fellow. He, he had a lot of opinions. He didn't play games with anyone. And uh, he had a lot of say, uh, stuff to say about politics and the world and society, America, all of that. You know, so um, for him to take a liking to her, because uh, one thing that that man wasn't is he wasn't fake. He wouldn't be doing anything politically correct to make everybody you know, feel he's like on the, on the cusp of something. That guy could care less about your opinion uh, about what he was doing. That's just how he was. He was straight honest. So for him to take a serious liking on her, automatically already should tell somebody, I need to go check out Mrs. Butler. Because if Harlan thinks she's great, there's got to be something to it. Because that guy was not routinely saying that uh, this is a great writer. This is this is that. <laughs> he was not one of those kind of guys. So, uh, wow, you had to be uh, something else to impress him. And, and and she was. So, you know, his judgment was correct. And, and, and she really benefited from that relationship. Sometimes that's what it takes in writing is to have a, a couple of those connections now and then. And ironically, this is something that she stumbled on because uh, she was not you know, the social uh, gadfly out there. She certainly was not uh, the networking type. I mean, she didn't know anybody. Uh, she just was a, a writer that was very talented, and, and she got some, some lucky breaks that really helped her out. So I'm glad that Destiny was on her side because who knows what would have happened otherwise. I mean, I still believe that she would have made it and that, and she would have been somebody we knew about and she would have got these things done because she was seriously a persistent person, which is really a quality that all of us need to make sure that we have, you know, and stop worrying about how long this takes or how long that takes and still out there be doing something because you're not going to get anything other way, any way, other way, if you're not persistent. And some of her quotes from some of her writing and some of her interviews also, uh, you know, lead to that exact thing that you need to be persistent and she understood that. So I, that's why I still believe that she would have made it otherwise. But it's a it's a it's a great break for her, and it's a wonderful thing to talk about because it you know leads into somebody else who I'm going to talk about, and I'm so happy that they made uh, made friendships and, and company with each other because they they really belong together. They might not have had the same kind of social atmosphere, same kind of social attitudes, or even you know uh, almost an antisocial uh, way that Harlan was, uh, where she was not. Um, very social, but she wasn't antisocial either. She just was a, a reserved person, a person of thought and, and, and a person of research and, and a person that when she was writing down something, boy, that did she mean it and, and she was not playing around because she had she had a plan. You can always tell from a book she had a plan. It wasn't something she was feeling out. She just kind of like envisioned it and went with it. So I'm always I'm always excited to to talk and, and, and read uh, read her on, on a regular basis. And I've done it for years. I remember her in the early 80s. That, that That's how much I've kept an eye on her. Because, again, I'm one of those people that, hey, Harlan's saying something, i got to look at this. I mean, you, sometimes that's what you have to do, you know? Especially with writers. They tend to keep company with other good writers. That, that's just kind of the people they are. So you got to take that, I feel, seriously. And uh, that's what merely makes her special in that regard. Now... There's a number of interesting things about her that we want to talk about over here. Um, now, she she got started in terms of, uh, of also uh, selling a lot of her short stories because before she went to the novel, she was doing all these various 
science fiction short stories. And she hit them all. She hit all the big magazines back in those days. Amazing stories and fantasy and science fiction and galaxy science fiction. These are, uh, these are some of the big people, okay, in terms of, uh, of science fiction world. You get into those. You get published by those people. They pay you as well. Eventually, the publishers are going to come. That's, how the, that's the path that that was back in those days, and that's pretty much what she did. And uh, I guarantee you, uh, those places were all run by probably just white guys. So, again, if they're taking what she's saying seriously, yeah, she's, she's a member of the club already. And, and that, that really helped her because, you know, they took what she was doing seriously because, again, it's science fiction, but also it's something so new. Because I found when you make a comparison, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to make the comparison in some kind of negative way. I just mean in the comparison that, we're so used to uh, a Ray Bradbury, who's a science fiction writer and, of course, one of the greatest ones. If you know anything about his work, he almost wrote exclusively about prejudice. But remember, the kind of prejudice that Ray Bradbury is talking about is the big picture prejudice of things that can go wrong in society and, and how that can, you know, that, that can crush things and, and ruin people and often damage society. He wasn't writing what I I felt is is more of the the microcosm the the the, the type of uh, of both racial and 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 even just uh, family prejudices the ones that are inside just that track of land or in that home that also have a major impact on people and eventually in society. So in many ways, she was kind of I felt writing it in a smaller way and, and context and then he was doing so it's something incredibly different because then she can bring you know bring it out from there and she did that on various planets and, and, and various uh, alien cultures that she created in and some of these novels and, and and that really makes her extremely different because she had uh, extraordinary detail but also she she seemed to put her finger on specifics that she was creating and didn't do the bigger picture like he did there's nothing wrong with either one of these approaches. It's just that many of those writers, like a Ray Bradbury, they were doing things like that. I mean, Rod Sterling did the same thing in many of the teleplays he wrote for, for The Twilight Zone. That bigger picture. So it nails you on the prejudice and lets you understand how, how harmful it is, how stupid it is, you know, how, how limiting it is in terms of both the person practicing the prejudice and the person receiving it. How it just limits, limits, limits things. Instead of making people free and, and helping them to, to grow, it, it just tries to harm growth and, and keep things in, in one, one, one area of an existence. She was looking at it in the opposite way. How, how it grows from a, a grain of sand you know, into a, a boulder, so to speak. I mean, and that's, that's how she was approaching it. That makes it really different than, than many of the other writers did that. Now, is she um, writing this because she's black and understands the experiences of that? Or because she's a woman? Or possibly because, you know, um, being somebody that was, uh, I, I felt in many ways, sort of a, a closeted gay person. I don't know what pressure or oppression that might put on a, on a psyche and, and how that comes out in your writing. Because she did mention about you know, sexual identities and all of that in, in some of the books. I mean, it wasn't a prominent theme in hers, but it was a theme. Um, yeah, there's probably some bearing on it. I, it would be, it'd be kind of silly to ignore that. But at the same point, too, 
Um, what we don't know is, and you, you're probably never going to know, you know, is, is that always going to be the case? I mean, because uh, I always felt that there are certain writers, uh, a, a perfect example would be a, a Margaret Atwood or, or maybe an Ursula Le Guin. These, these are uh, feminist writers. They were writers that did science fiction. They are writers that did various books, but they had a strong feminist angle to them. They didn't mind being labeled that way. They uh, reveled in it in many ways, and that's nothing wrong with that. That's what they did, you know, but I always felt that um, Octavia Butler, even though she's always putting the woman as a hero, and even though she's always writing from the perspective of that woman character and, and also many characters that were also female, uh, I, I just I never get I never got struck that 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 she was a a, a feminist in any way or, or really espousing on that because I don't really think it's necessary to be a feminist if, if you just feel uh, that you you've taken the 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 power of your life in your own hands and you're going in the direction you want to go. Miss um, Butler finally was able to quit her jobs and make enough of a living from writing that that's what she was able to do, you know, for the better part of her life. Um, I don't know if you need to be a feminist for that. I mean, sometimes you just need to be somebody who's independent and persistent, has some discipline, you know, some luck out there to get something then going and, and, and produce your books. And she was able to do that. Uh, I know they've lumped her in that, uh, and, and that's fine. I mean, it doesn't offend me. I just don't know how, how true it rings. You know what I mean? I just don't know. Because <laughs> uh, when I think of feminist writing, I'm not really thinking of Octavia Butler. I mean, some might, but that's fine. But I don't. In many ways, I don't really, I don't even see her in in, in the the regular form of of a black literature. I mean, even she belongs there because she's black and wrote, you know, wrote things that got published and and became prominent and won a lot of awards. But you you really can't call her black literature. You know what I mean? Because she has multiple uh, cultures and multiple dimensions and aliens and different people with different color and. All of that. I mean, so some of her heroines are African American, so that that's important to say and, and, and to note. But um, again, if you think of black literature and then you read her, you're like, um, don't always see it. Other than Kindred, which was a story about various shrine travels and going to a, a slavery plantation uh, from the modern days and then going back in you know in the 1800s to that, then that's pretty much a, a, an entire story except for the slave owner of all black characters. So th- there's one right there where you you could probably say that's black literature or a black novel. Okay, but most of us are, are not. They are, are very, very inclusive. I thought so. Very diverse, and, and and she really lived what she talked about, and she really also wrote what she's talking about. She was not somebody that made some idle boasts and everything. That that woman was serious with her plan, and she did it. And I think if you could tell from some of the quotes that I'll read to you, you can hear. Some of the things that she was thinking about, and you could tell that wow, she had that plan and she put that into motion into the book. She wanted to make sure that those sort of things would be would be said in her books. Some writers, even in the genre that she, she's doing, they might just be trying to find um, the next thing the character has to say or do. They're letting the character lead them, so to speak, because it's grown into almost a real situation, and they're following along. And I'm sure there's some of that with her that's true, but oftentimes you can also tell that she had a certain certain structure, a certain thing that she wanted to talk about, and she wanted to make sure that she was incorporating that into into the book that she did. So that makes her a, a very interesting writer because uh, 
without her formally coming out and saying it, because I, I read all her interviews and she doesn't seem very political, but it's obvious that for her to do something like this, this is somebody that was a social writer. She might not want to call herself that. In fact, I, I, I found it very amusing that nearly every, every quote of her and almost every interview of her, she had no problem just calling herself a science fiction writer. That, that's all she thought herself was. So while they were calling her, everybody was trying to grab her from different groups, you know. Ah, oh, the feminist writer. Ah, oh, black writer. Ah, oh, the, the writer. Social writer. So I'm, I'm, I'm even calling her a social writer. But uh, her final word, and I don't even know if it's her final word, because I think it was her first word, her middle word, and her final word, was that she was a science fiction writer. And that's how she saw herself. And, and I'm not really surprised. Most of what she did was science fiction. Nearly all the awards that she won were science fiction. So, I have no problem calling her that because I think it's important that she belongs in that club, in that group. Because that's really what her goal was. That's what she wanted to do. All right, let's, uh, I don't normally do something like this. Uh, talk too much about awards that writers have gotten. I mean, I've done a few of these shows already. I mean, I did mention that Alex Huxley was on the shortlist seven times for the Nobel Peace Prize for Literature. You know, but most of the writers I talked about... They didn't win much. I, I mean, Charles Dickens was, was like one of the giants of literature. I don't even think he won a single award. You know, he just had a lot of money. He gave it a lot of weight. did a lot of charity, wrote a lot of books, and died. That's That was it for him. He didn't seek any awards, get any awards. I don't even think he cared about any awards. I'm not even sure if they had any awards back in his day, for that matter, now that I think about it. But I know he didn't get any. All right, here, here's Miss Butler, what she got, okay? Uh, starting in 1980, remember, she started putting out these novels in the 70s. So, I mean, they just only started noticing her probably 10 years later after that. So she won the, the Creative Arts Award from L.A. Okay. Uh, then, uh, and this is one of the big awards, the Hugo Award. In 1984, she won it for the short story, Speech Sounds. Um, she won the Nebula Award, another major writing award, uh, for a best novelette, Bloodchild. So she did like a... You know, a, a novelette's kind of like a, a little bit bigger than a novella, but smaller than a novel. They call it a novelette. I, I swear, I, every five or ten years, they, they they have different names for these things. So, it's, today it's a novelette. Who knows what it'll be tomorrow. All right, uh, in 1985, the following year, the Locust Award, she won also for a best novelette for Blood Child. So, literally, that same book, uh, the next year, won, won, won an award for it, for a different organization. Another Hugo Award for a novelette, Bloodchild. So she got three awards just for Bloodchild. Amazing. Okay. All right. Here we go. The Science Fiction Chronicle Award for another novelette at the evening and the morning and the night. Um, Mrs. Butler has the distinction. And boy, does she have a lot of distinctions because she's like the first in almost everything. First black writer, science fiction, female, first... Uh, well, she was also the first, and, and still to this day, the only uh, writer to win the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation Grant, also called the Genius Grant. She uh, she laughed at the whole genius title in an interview and just you know mentioned that it was just the MacArthur Grant. But nevertheless, it comes with a big amount of, of money that comes with it, and you get to study and do things. And uh, she was the first one to win that in the science fiction category. They've never given anyone before. And, and that, now sometimes that, that's a real um, that's a real tragedy because many times, uh, I guess because of Hollywood and how they do things, 
you know, sometimes writers in science fiction, they, they, they get put to the side like that. You know, they're not doing anything important. Or what's a grown man and woman talking about weirdo aliens or something? I mean, come on. Really? So sometimes I, I did get short shrift. And, you know, it's good to see that, you know, she got that out there and kind of helped elevate that whole field. That's right. And it took a, a black a, a, a female writer to do so. But, hey, it worked, and it, it brings prestige to science fiction. So God bless her, and that, that's a great thing. So that is the first one that she won. Um, New York Times uh, noted her many times and gave her citations for, for her books. Uh, Publisher Weekly, um, they, they, they mentioned Parable of the Tenets. It's, it's a parable series of three books that she wrote. Uh, that's a very interesting one, too, by the way. Los Angeles Times also did this best thing because she was a bestseller in that category. Uh, then she got the 1999 Nebula Award for the best novel, that Parable of the Tenets. And then, of course, she won the Arthur C. Clarke Award uh, for the Parable of the Tenets as well. He's another uh, fantastic, uh, big, big science fiction writer up there. Um, she won the Lifetime uh, Achievement Award in, in the year 2000 for writing, just for writing in general, from the, from the Penn American Center. And in 2005, she got the Lanson the, the Lanson Hughes Medal of the City of City College, so that's another uh, amazing uh, achievement from from somebody that, in many instances, had uh, had I felt uh, had a kind of a humility to her. This was different, though. I, I didn't than a lot of writers. Even Shirley Jackson didn't have uh, uh, humility, and don't mean that in in some kind of a negative manner. I'm just a fact. I mean, some people can be confident and still sound cocky. And and Shirley Jackson was kind of a lot like that, where in many ways, the demeanor of Mrs. Butler seemed to be uh, very, uh, I, I felt, noble and, and, and no, no doubt honorable, but also uh, just she really kind of kept a, a low key to things and, and, and it was, it was in many ways humble. She had a mission. She felt she was carrying out her destiny in life. This is what she wanted to do and nothing else. And, uh, and, and she did it. Um, I found it interesting here that, um, Charlie Rose, uh, if you remember him from, he used to do these, uh, late night, uh, interview shows like, like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And um, it's funny because I used to watch that show. I even have some uh, some books where they compile some of the interviews, so I get to read them as well. And I I only watched it for the guests because I I was never that impressed with the guy. I I always thought that you know he was like he never seemed to be that well prepared, or this looks like there's just some you know some scribbled notes from some assistant, some assistant that gave him something they never looked like the guy was ready to go you know so i was never really that interesting in in him but the interview he did with her um and the only interview he did with her you know to me it just shows i felt some of the just dumb questions that writers can get sometimes and and this poor woman okay she's she in many ways is a genius uh, a natural talent, uh, an incredible pioneer, okay? And this is the first question she gets on a national TV program from Charlie Rose. Um, what then is central to what you want to say about race? That's the brilliant question he gets her. Yeah, let's let's ask about blackness, okay? When she's at that point wrote like 10 novels, three of them are considered like in- incredible instant classics. Let's just ask her about what it feels like to be black. 
You know, then you wonder why everyone gets such a a bad rap for the, for, for this sort of thing. And this guy, like, you know, he he sets everybody back like twenty five years with a stupid question. But that's what he did. Okay, of course, this is the same guy that you know has been accused of all kinds of harassment of women and everything. So, you know, take it from what it's worth. Um, she uh, has an interesting response. She says, uh, "Do I want to say something central about race?" That's a question mark. Uh, aside from, hey, we're here. So uh, she didn't really take the question seriously. I think she kind of laughed it off as, as probably being something juvenile. And it is, you know. Uh, I, that's the funny thing about a Charlie Rose kind of character and something like that is the guy is not trying to be offensive. He's actually just trying to be bright. But this is what happens when you're not very bright and you try to be bright. You sound like an idiot. And that, that's what he sounded like in that. You know, I wish I could have asked her some questions because I got about 150 of them. 149 were definitely better than that nonsense, he said, at least. So, but um, the interview was interesting in, in the sense that, uh, you know, she kind of regaled a little bit about her childhood. Many themes that she had to talk about, and I mean in terms of writing itself, were, 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 is something that you're going you're gonna to hear ring true in your own lives, in your own writing careers, okay? So, um uh, she had the support of a family member, which you won't hear as much from people. Uh, but, you know, you'll hear about her uh, battling doubt and, you know, confidence, uh, 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 depression, oppression at, at, at times, you know, people bullying her. And, you know, um, if you saw a photograph of, uh, of Mr. But Mrs. Butler, you know, uh, she's an average looking woman, but she's not trying to... Uh, win a beauty contest that she's trying to be a brilliant writer and, 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 and being successful that way. But, you know, if she had to be judged in that fashion, that, that probably would have been a problem for her because that's how people are, you know? So uh, I'm glad that she's a brilliant writer because if they were going to judge her on her skin or, you know, or her looks or anything else, I mean, that would have been, that would have been a serious issue for her. We never would have been benefiting from, from her insight and, you know, and, and her talent. So she talks about that. I, I, I liked how she talked about trying to get a typewriter from her mother. Her mother wind up um, giving her money that she was saving for a dental procedure just to help her to get into some of the college things she needed to get done for writing some of the uh, from the coursework, as well as Harley Ellison helping her as well. And uh, she also was the one that bought her the first typewriter that she wanted to have. So she was able to type up stuff. And, so, and it's always important. I have the same type of typewriter story so it's important I, I did like a couple jobs just to get the money for the typewriter you know and it was just one of those personal portable ones it's not like a selectric something big heavy and expensive because who can afford that back then so she probably had the same rinky dink one i had and and god bless her it, it works so i mean i'm excited about uh hearing anyone say anything and you know there's also the rituals if you remember we talked about the rituals on the, on the show prior to this, so I, I like to I like to uh, read something here from um, one of the, the the rituals of of Mrs. Mrs. Butler. Okay, and this is a, definitely a interesting. Okay, um, she she mentions here, and I, I just totally found this uh, fascinating because I don't know anybody was doing this. Okay, she would write. And not on post-it notes. I didn't have that back in her day. But she would just write on color like construction paper. She'd write little notes to herself 
to help kind of psych yourself up. Okay, so here's, I'm going to read you one of the actual notes. So I haven't done this before, really, I actually try to recite some some kind of ritual from a writer. But I just think it's it's cool for the show, and it also helps you kind of give insight of her, and, and maybe even yourself. Okay, so she would, this is one of the ones she did. Okay, and you'll recognize some of the interesting truths that come out of this. She writes, tell stories filled with facts, underline, okay? Make people touch and taste and know. Make people feel, 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 all with explanation points. That's one of the notes that she wrote to herself. To try to remind her when she's putting together these short stories and these novels, what she needed to do. I, I remember um, chatting with... Uh, a fellow writer, uh, John Patrick Robbins, you, you hear him on our Guest House series, and we even interviewed him one time. Uh, thank you, John, for that. Sometimes we talk about writing. And um, he had mentioned, I, I mean, it was so key to this show, so, to so many things that I believe and practice. He said, listen, I don't care who you are. If you're writing something boring, it's just it's not going to work for me. I'm going to get like antsy and not care anymore. If you're doing something that's connecting to me, it seems like it has a life of its own. It seems like it is trying to be edgy or is edgy or already because that's that's how he you know interprets that that kind of writing. Then that's something I, I'm interested in seeing and printing and you know I'm interested in doing that. You know, and I explained to him that's exactly my feeling. It's exactly how I go about things. I said, hey, that's how I found you, John, uh, because. You know, when you strip away all this nonsense about, uh, oh, he's just a barroom poet or, um, you know, he's just uh, one of those uh, biker kind of guys, lives in a rough lifestyle and he's doing some writing. He's not bad, but hey, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're not really hearing anything about his writing. You're hearing about some impression, some third party story or, or maybe even something that, that's sort of semi-prejudiced in a way. And I don't like that sort of stuff because I... I'm not a crusader or a big political kind of person. I'm, I'm just not on any of these things. But what I do believe, just like Red Ray Blairberry believed, is that prejudging things is just stupid and dangerous. It so much limits you from your own experiences, from your own identity, from the identity of others, from learning anything from others, from learning anything about yourself. It's just so limiting. If you believe, folks, in the devil, it's not hard to believe that the devil created that because he's just laughing, going, yep, I got that in there. Going to limit some of these humans, make them dumber than they need to be. And that's what prejudice does. So I didn't want to hear anything about drinking and barroom stuff and motorcycles and blah, blah, blah. All right, let's see what this guy can do. Let's see what he has. And then I'm like, yep, I, I see the connection I, I hear. What he's trying to do, I, I feel the, the strength in it, the passion in it, the, the observational skills. Okay, it, it, it's, it's unfiltered, it's, it's raw, it can be a, a bit gritty, but these are not necessarily bad things. We all have our own style, that, that's his. So I, I think Miss Butler also kind of understood that too, because you, you'll hear some of the, um, the criticisms of her work, and I don't necessarily mean that they're negative, but they're still. They're still there in, in terms of how people, you know, would, would interpret things. And I, and I think that oftentimes she just stood out because of that, you know. Um, and I'll read you a couple of them. And you'll, you'll, you'll kind of get the, you know, the grasp of some of the things she's talked about. 
All right, and this is one of my favorite ones. It's from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. One of the magazines that really carried her in the early days to help her become an established writer. This is what they have to say about her. Clear-headed and brutally unsentimental. This is exactly who that woman was and what her writing was about. And and made her so, so much more special than just giving her a label. Feminist this, black that, maybe gay this, you know, blah, blah, that. Psh. Whatever that, no, that's just to me. That's almost like marketing nonsense. It doesn't mean a lot. What means something though is not only did she have, which was evident, a social point of view. Okay, because this is the woman that that came from you know next to nothing to become somebody prominent and interesting and 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 enormously talented, but it's not something that you would traditionally again expect from a woman why maybe because of prejudice maybe because of this societal expectations maybe just because you know we are expecting women to counter men in terms of being more uh, maternal but this is a woman that was never a mother or or, or uh, had a child in her life she was childless and and, and never married um but she knew you know how how that 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 was from her, you know from her own mother raising her but those are those expectations that, in the end, become type of prejudices, that, or even become prejudices, because you're like unsentimental. I mean, I thought she'd have no. She was unsentimental only in the way she had the characters go about things, and, and the way that she depicted things. It doesn't mean that her books were unsentimental. They brought about a lot of important truths about the world and in 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 the worlds that she was talking about the characters and all of that but she wasn't she wasn't playing around uh, and, and writing fluffy stuff you know i mean this wasn't like um you know little house on the prairie on jupiter or something she 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 was not messing around with these sort of things and i an excellent description of, of the kind of person that 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 she she was trying to write about and and the characters um, this one right over here, uh, another wonderful one here from the from the Village Voice over in New York. Okay, writing the most detailed social criticism, amazing that uh, people can uh, learn to see that because she was so subtle about it. But ultimately, when you feel, when you finish the project, you 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 get the impressions. You start learning things that you wasn't expecting to learn. She was really good about teaching stuff without looking like she was teaching stuff. Part of her brilliant gift, and uh, something I, I don't think you can learn um, from one of those workshops she did. I, I think it was just a part of her natural skill and and, and what she figured out uh, and how she wanted to tell that that type of story. She always had an interesting thing that she had mentioned that it, it took me uh, not not by surprise, but uh, it, it just reminded me uh, of why we all write. She put it this way. Um, I write about power because I had so little in my life. And you know, and she's right. I mean, she had no power to stop her father from dying. She had no power for to help her mother become more educated, get a better job. She had no power to save her mother from the backbreaking work. You know, she she had no power uh, from people thinking of her as a nerd or somebody unattractive or the power from the teachers to look down on her because uh, she was dyslexic and, and it seemed like just a problem child. You know, um, teachers then are no different than now in the, in the sense that, 
you know, sometimes if you don't really find the, the one that, that's caring and compassionate, it's just a job. And you just want to corral the people that are doing well and get them out getting going. And the other ones, you know, they just they don't care about. They just compartmentalize in their mind. Yeah, that's those that group over there, whatever. You know, what I mean, I think she's probably in that group. You know, it's according to some of those people. So uh, that quote from her is 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 enormous. It's 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 something for us all of us to take notice about why we write because. It was not in one of her little um, construction posted notes that she did that she said that. That was a quote just from in an interview. So I think that was probably always on her heart and, and soul. And she didn't have to write it there because it was always there about why she was writing to get that message out that she couldn't get otherwise. Uh, that wasn't being t- you know talked about you know in in, in many of the things in in her life. You know the the the, the powerlessness that 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 she had felt. I know I had some more, uh, a few other quotes over here. Just trying to find that. I had to actually uh, print those out because it's kind of hard to to memorize uh, everything over here. Okay. Oh yeah, they're over here. All right. So I, I like some of these here a, a, a great deal because many a times you'll find out something about a, a writer just from from some of the quotes that you know they, they've been given. So. Let me get over here and, and, and get that uh, uh, for you over here. I told you, I had it right over here too, so sorry about that. Oh yeah, here we go. Yep, there we go. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, some of these quotes will help you understand uh, about writing in, in, in general and, and and definitely something about about her and, and about what she was either experiencing or, or, or trying to uh, achieve in, in, you know, in her life and in her career. Which, in many ways, were the same thing for her. Okay? Uh, here's a quote. I just knew there were stories I wanted to tell. So, I like I liked that quote a great deal. Because not only does it tell us about really what she was trying to do with her writing. It also tells you that, if you, if you just dig a little bit deeper, because it's not hard to do. That she felt that she had some stories that weren't being told and I don't know if that necessarily has to do with you know um, her background or her culture or the color of her skin or, or, or her you know probably being closeted and all of that yeah I'm sure it has something to do with that I mean because those would definitely be uh, more unique stories than you would hear or, or read about in science fiction so I, I definitely like that quote just because I can envision you know her thinking that way you know it kind of makes sense to me uh, I have a huge and savage conscience that won't let me get away with things. I like that too because I, I really think that sometimes uh, writers, when they get into the swing of things in terms of you know figuring out their style and in the kind of things that they want to do, um, sometimes they forget on purpose, you know, parts of who they are or maybe who they were. You know, they say in America, you know, you get a couple of chances and you can you know, remake yourself to wherever you want. That's one of the, you know, the gifts of, of, of America. Um, I don't get that with her. I, I think that she was trying to tell us that, um, you know, even if she wanted to forget her childhood and people making fun of her and being black and, and all of that. You know, because I'm, I'm sure that had to do with, uh, you know, pain and suffering and all that. Um, 
she couldn't. So she had to always face it and put it in the writing in, in the best way she can, you know, to move forward. So um, I, I just think that that's really special and something uh, to me that's almost inspirational, you know, that to take um, maybe pain and suffering and instead of letting it destroy you, try to use it, you know, to further you know, your creativity and, and maybe even further your your own, uh, you know, your own psychological makeup, kind of like self-therapy. So I, I see something really positive in that. Now, I, this is a quote that, well, this one really got me. And it's true. It's just, it's, it's when they say that woman, she could be unsentimental because of the how her, her eye of things. So she's, they're not joking, okay? Here we go. Uh, this was this one really got me here. Okay, once you grow past mommy and daddy coming running when you're hurt, you're really on your own. You're alone, and there's no one to help you. So, I'm sure some of this has to do with the impact of the death of her mother. Because remember, at at one point, other than a few writers that, you know, she became acquainted with, that, 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 that really liked what she was doing and, and they stayed friends with her. I, I think the only person she had left in her life other than those people were her, was her mother. That, that's, that's the only person she knew in her life that, you know, she was deeply close with. Uh, that we know of uh, because, uh, again, uh, this is somebody that, uh, you know, never came out, but it was probably gay. And... Um, I, I, I would like to think that, you know, she had a, you know, a, a few lovers in her life that uh, maybe she was close to. We don't really know. But um, we do know about the extent of her uh, relationship with her mother and how important that was. So I'm sure that's, you know, she's alluding to that. That person dead and, and now really feeling alone in, in the world. And, and sometimes writing is not enough to make somebody feel otherwise. Um, Miss Butler dealt with a lot of bouts with depression and ultimately she died younger, uh, just like, uh, Shirley Jackson. Um, she had a lot of complications, uh, due to, uh, some of the high blood pressure medicine that she was taking. Hypertension was, uh, was a big, big factor in, in her life and in, in her death. And it was said here that they thought that medication that she was taking eventually, uh, you know, did her in and, uh, it caused her to have a, a lot of problems until, until she died. So, you know, it might have well have shortened her life. She died in 2006, by the way. And since her death, um, her work has become a lot more well-known, interpreted into other languages. Um, one of the universities that created the Octavia Butler um, Scholarship to help out writers, uh, especially in science fiction, to do things. So it, it's wonderful to see that uh, happen in her name. Um, I think that the... The library system that she got really involved with, and I know she did some teaching later on in, college, in for college, when, in, you know, in her older years, uh, they started collecting her works. They, they, they had 39 boxes worth of her papers. Um, Mrs. Butler was one of those writers that did a lot of manual writing and did a lot of uh, scribbling and drawing and all kinds of stuff. Like I read to you that thing, that, that, and she apparently saved everything. So, I mean, they had all kinds of stuff, which will be fascinating when people study more about her in a deeper level, uh, especially for like a biography. Um, they'll be able to, to really access that and, and sort of see some of the ideas that she had and where they went and, you know, all of that. If you remember, 
uh, Miss uh, Shirley Jackson was writing uh, different personalities that she had in a journal and then using some of the information to create characters or even to inform those characters. We don't really know exactly the, the creative processes that uh, Octavia Butler did. I think we'll learn later on as they study those, those 39 boxes. They'll probably be able to find a lot out because I know that uh, she saved everything. So she saved the correspondence, good and bad, and, and some of her notions about things and uh, about the world and some of the things that she had jotted down. And she was a big person in researching. I mean, she did enormous research to understand uh, the slave life and, and, and also the life of uh, how a plantation functioned when she did the novel Kindred, which is the, the big book that I recommend people read of her to really kind of get a, a, a good notion all across the board of the kind of writer she is. Uh, it's still science fiction in my in my point. I mean, she doesn't. She that's funny because she called herself a science fiction writer, and almost everything she wrote, she said it was science fiction, with the exception of Kindred. She thought it was more of a fantasy story than science fiction. But I disagree with her. Uh, God rest her soul. But um, my definition is this: if you got some time travel going on, I'm calling it science fiction. Period. That's just me. Okay, so. Call me weird and whatever, but yeah, you, know, you you and I'm not talking about one instance of of time travel. It was like 10, 10, 10 travel time travels here. So come on, fantasy? No, that's science fiction. Okay, that's that's how I'm looking at it. But I know I know what she was trying to say because it's a, a pretty much a, a, a grim book in many ways, and 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 definitely had those fantasy elements. So it wasn't your classic science fiction story, but to me, it's science fiction, and you should definitely read that. It has one hell of an ending as well, and I'm telling you, it's it, it'll be up there with one of the big classics of science fiction. It's right up there with Fahrenheit 451 and um, Martian Chronicles, and you know, A Stranger in a Strange Land. I'm telling you, it's it's up there with that. That that that's how serious that book is. So it's not not a, not a joke. Um, it's funny that she picked this genre science fiction because she felt this and this is her quote all right science fiction let me do both it let me look into science and stick my nose in everywhere so i mean she understood that it, it kind of gave her a freedom that she was looking for uh the power that she was looking for to control uh worlds and, and create societies and, and have them interact in ways that you're going to be able to uh extract out some interesting lessons and some some useful uh metaphors and and certainly some emotional truths which is what she did a lot in, in her book so i think that really sums up uh, octavia a butler uh someone that really was striving to get down some of the truths that she had seen and and and, and observed and, and experienced in her life put them into books that she was hoping that was going to have an impact on the world to let them see that, um, and from one of her own uh, uh, quotes, uh, let, let them see that diversity made sense versus prejudice that only divided people. Not, not to mention, of course, limiting them. Because remember, when you practice diversity, and I don't mean it in the, in the political sense that, that people talk about on a regular basis, because sometimes that seems very hollow and, and almost tokenism. Uh, she's talking about the diversity of making contact with people who are different than you are 
and figuring out what, what things you, you, you know that are in common and what things that you don't know and still liking the person, still trying to work with them in, in a professional manner or maybe even in, in, in a, a friendship manner, possibly even in a loving manner if it turns out you're falling in love or something. But that's really what she means by that, the genuine diversity to where people recognize that there really isn't any strength in unity if you consider unity just that we're all thinking the same, we're all wearing blue shoes, we're all rooting for the Mets and all that kind of unity. That, to me, that's not really unity. That's just really uh, just uh, like a disguised conformity. You know, and to me, conformity is always anti-creativity. So she's talking about diversity and all the ways that it can be diverse. Your experiences and your your feelings and your contact and, and of course, whatever you're learning from it and, and whatever that you're communicating back. They might be learning something from you. Believing that, that she did in her books and, and in life that the inter, interchange between various people and various cultures and in some of her books, various planets, would, would actually enrich people's lives and, and make things better. Feeling that if they had more understanding, they had less chances of conflict. And if they had less chances of conflict, there'd be less chances of war and famine. And people can actually, you know, concentrate their resources on feeding everybody instead of killing everybody. And that's really what she was trying to do. Uh, incredible, uh, noble uh, uh, work and achievement. And I feel that she was very successful in that. Just imagine the other stuff that could have been, she could have been writing. Again, like Shirley Jackson, I mean, she literally wrote herself down, you know, to, to death. I don't know. So I'm not going to, um, you know... I'm not going to give her legacy a hard time, just like uh, Mrs. Jackson. But um, yeah, you, you can't rule out the fact that sometimes writers are so passionate that they, they don't really take a you know take account of their health. I'm actually going to be doing a show like that in October uh, about health and, and and what we can do better for ourselves so we can be around longer to write more. Okay, because what's the point of dying early? You know, and it's just less writing you're doing, and it's just. Not good, I, I don't think, to die early. And, 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 but she's another one that did so. Uh, you know, hypertension, especially, um, you know, a lifelong you know, one like she had, you know, is probably something genetic for her. And, and who knows how much or how good that she was able to take care of it or, or even if she paid attention to it at all until, until it was too late. Hard to know. But if she was anything like Shirley Jackson, and I, I feel that she was in terms of the kind of... Uh, rituals and, and the kind of work and persistence that she had you know I, I bet you it got the better to her because they don't really take it as seriously as they should and uh, you know of course smoking and not exercising and eating anything you want is definitely not helpful and both of them were doing that so we'll definitely talk about about that a little bit about health and and, and you know trying to be a, a healthier person so that you can be a, a healthier writer okay until next time, folks, I want to thank you for joining me to Strength to be Human, and God bless. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.